So I'm so thankful to be here, uh, to be open God, opening God's word for you today. As, as we look at a message that I've entitled, you know, there's too much at stake. There's too much at stake. Uh, this idea of the church is not just some passing idea. It's not, well, it's what we do on the weekends. Uh, the church is God's idea. And, and if we mess it up, if we mess it up, there's too much at stake and so today, I want to take a look really with two points to my message, lots of things underneath that, but I want to take a look at what Peter said to the elders, and then what did Peter say to the rest? And that's what we'll take a look at, that's where we're going to spend our time, and we find it in 1 Peter chapter 5. But as I think about that, I think about the reality of why do we have the church, right? To glorify God through the fulfillment of the Great Commission. We would say that's the statement, and, and, but why do we have the church, well, we have the church that so we can be discipled as followers of Jesus Christ so that we can grow up in him. We have the church. That's a purpose of the church. We have the church as a place where we are trained up to go and, and share the gospel. So we have growth going on and we have the gospel going out. But that statement is, that is to glorify God. The purpose of the church is to glorify God. And so we don't want to mess that up because there's too much at stake. God's glory is on the line. Now, God will not be less glorious if we mess it up, because God is God. But the people who look at the church, the people who have their eyes on Jesus Christ, the person who was wondering, the glory of God is at stake. And so this is an important message. This is an important thing for us to hear as we consider what God's Word says. So if you've got your Bibles open, I want to encourage you to stand with me as I read. We're going to look at most of the chapter, but I'm going to read just the first five verses right now. First uh, Peter chapter 5, uh, verses 1 to 5. So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory of that is going to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another, for God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word that we hold in our hands. It is powerful, it is strong, it is true, and it's everything we need for today. So as we look at this word today, as we look at what Peter wrote to these folks, God, we pray that you would give us ears to listen carefully to what you're say, saying to us. You would give us minds to be able to comprehend it. But then, God, for the elders and for the church, you would give us faith. Faith, God, to live these things out for the glory of our Savior, Jesus Christ. We pray in his name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. You can take your seats. And let's just dive right into this. The first thing we want to take a look at is the word to the elders. It's a word for them. And so the elders that are being installed today at the end of the service and for the elders who already are serving here, I, I have some instruction for you, not from Paul Whittingstall, but from the word. And, and what does Peter have for them? What did he say to them? And then what can we learn from that? And 
But what he's saying to them is for the rest of us to observe and hear and listen. It's not like you don't have to listen to the first half of the message. Ours is the second half of the message. No, no, it's all for us to hear because as you think about what I'm saying to them, it's going to impact you. You're going to be thinking about, oh my goodness, these poor guys, what have they signed up for? might cause you to get on your knees and to pray for them. And so the first part of this message is a word to the elders. And Paul starts this whole chapter out, this church that's under persecution, who are learning to obey and trust God. But he comes back to kind of his ability or his rapport in speaking to them. Look what it says in verse 1. So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder. And uh, I don't claim to be Peter in this illustration, but it's kind of like that. Peter's writing this letter to them and sending it to them. And, and so I'm here to deliver what Peter had said to the elders uh, to you. And he had this rapport with them. I'm so thankful for the relationship uh, that we have in our churches, especially in Canada. The relationship with the pastors, the relationships with the youth leaders, the relationships with the worship leaders, and so on. It's, it's a great thing that God has given us, and there's a great rapport. And, and Peter uh, demonstrates a little bit of that rapport in verse 1. I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder. As a fellow elder, Peter is a, a servant leader serving along with them. He didn't see himself as being greater. He saw himself as being a fellow elder coming alongside and helping and spurring on. It's just like many people have done in my life. Um, I have the privilege to do today in your lives and in your church to encourage you as a, a fellow elder. He also knew um, that these people were like the rest of us and we struggle from time to time and we need to be encouraged. And so in that verse, he calls himself a fellow elder. He says, who was a witness of the suffering of Christ. This is a little bit of his credentials, but the reality was Peter was there. And so as he speaks to them about the importance of what they do, the importance of the church, the importance of getting this right, he says, I was there. I was there. I was a witness to the suffering of Christ. Peter probably caused some of that as he traveled with Jesus day by day. But the ultimate suffering of Christ, remember, Peter was the one who took off. He's the one who blew it. And yet he was the one that Jesus Christ restored and brought back to a place of ministry and rejoicing in that. He goes, I was there. I saw it. I was part of it. I was a witness of the suffering of Christ. And therefore, I understand why this is so important. I understand what the work of Christ accomplished. And we don't want to get that wrong. We want to make sure we have it right. We want to make sure we stay on target. We want to say, make sure we stay on mission. He was a witness of the suffering of Christ, the pain, the anguish, the agony he saw the trial. He ran out. He witnessed the death of Christ. He was one of the first to realize and see that Christ was risen from the dead. He was restored. He had the relationship with Christ. He had an amazing rapport, not only with his heavenly father and with Jesus Christ, but he had a rapport with these people. And then at the end of that uh, verse, he says, um, and a witness of the suffering of Christ as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. The salvation that he had in Christ, the confidence that he had in Christ, the seeing God's people uh, working and striving together, seeing lives change, and realizing one day he was going to be with, in the house of the Lord forever. He goes, I've seen it, I've enjoyed it, I've been blessed by it, and I look forward to what's coming. 
And so that's kind of his rapport with them, and he's talking then to these elders, and, and look what he says to them in, in verses 2 and 3. Uh, you elders who serve here in Mississauga and will serve in uh, Hope Toronto North, um, take a look at what God's Word says to you at, as you think about your role. See, this is not about their qualifications, this text. The qualifications of the men who will stand up here um, in, in a little while with their wives, uh, that's in uh, the book of Titus and in 1 Timothy. That's where you prominently, prom prominently see where those um, responsibilities were, where those qualifications were, and those have all been tested here in the church. And that's not what he's talking about in this text. In this text, he's talking about their role. And in, in verses 2 and 3, it says this, Now shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but be an example to the flock. And so I want to speak to the elders today. I want to speak to them about some of the things that Peter wrote down that he said, these are the non-negotiables for you. These are the things you need to be into. This is what you need to be about in your role. The first thing he said is shepherd the flock that is among you. Shepherd the flock that is among you. Why? Well, because they're your flock. They're yours to take care of. They're yours to lead. Now, they're not, they're not in the sense, this isn't Pastor Ted's church, and it isn't the elders' church. It's Christ's church, but under Christ, they have been given this responsibility. They're going to give an account. We're going to see it a little bit later in the message, and so uh, they need to understand the weight of that. They have a role. They have a role, and he, he lists out some things for them. He says, shepherd them, shepherd the flock, pastor them, care for them. Feed them. Give them direction. Prepare the way for them. Make sure they have green pastures to feed on. Make sure they have clear waters to drink from. Uh, make sure they're protected from the wolves that will come. Shepherd the flock. You've all heard the story. Well, sh sheep need shepherds because why? Because shepherds are, uh, sheep are basically stupid. Not the sharpest knives in the drawer. You're like, you're a visitor. You're calling us those things. Who do you think you are? Well, I am a sheep too, right? But when it comes to our spiritual care, we're just, just barely smarter than a rock. And we need shepherds to shepherd us and care for us. And, 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 and the elders are sheep as well under the, the great shepherd, Jesus Christ. But he says to them, as elders, your job is to shepherd the flock, Think about your life. Think about the people you know and the struggles there can be in your church and the calling that is on these men. And for you men, the calling that is on you to shepherd the flock of God. What an awesome opportunity and what a huge responsibility at the same time. Shepherd the flock that is among you. Shepherd the flock that's among you. That's your role. Here's another role. Exercising oversight. Exercising oversight. Um, the elders... Serving the church by leading. Now, that's what they're called to do. They're called to lead in the church. Now, the word here is the idea of the bishop, but it all ties together the bishop and elder and pastor. This, the, the, the people who are called to lead the church lead well, be courageous, uh, be filled with faith. But have your eyes fixed on Jesus Christ. Have your head in the word of God. Have your face on the floor as you, as, you, as, you, as you pray for the Lord's will and direction because you're leading the church. 
You're giving oversight. You're shepherding the flock of God. The text says do it willingly. Not being forced to do this. Nobody's being forced to do this. Any of the, the men who are coming up here at the end of the service, nobody's saying you have to do this. Except for God. This is the thing you have to do. But nobody's forcing them to do this. They're not, they're not in it for the money, that's for sure. Like They serve willingly. And so elders, as you consider the calling on your life, you do this willingly. You do it willingly, not forced, but you do it for Christ. And you do it for Christ. You see, if you become an elder of a church to make the pastor happy so he'll stop bugging you about would you join the elders all the time, or, or if you do it because the other elders are on you, or you do it because somebody else is telling you you should do it, if, if that's your motivation, you'll quit. This is a church filled up with messed up people, just like every church. And so you serve willingly, but you don't do it for the people, you do it for Jesus Christ. So that when it gets hard and when it gets difficult and you need to lean in and the meetings get long and it's, and it's hard and it's like, this isn't for us. This isn't for us. This is for Christ that we do this. He is the head of the church. And so as you are in your calling, considering shepherding the flock, that you would do it willingly. He goes on, he said in the text that you would do it eagerly, but not for shameful gain. Not for shameful gain. You're not looking for the pat on the back. You're not looking, you're not looking for everybody around you going, oh, what an amazing job you're doing. Because there are going to be lots of times when people don't think it's such an amazing job. You're working through a hard thing and you're doing a difficult thing and, and you're not sure and you're praying about it and you, but you still move ahead and you do it with an eagerness and a willingness. 2 Corinthians 2.17 says, for we are not like so many peddlers of God's word but as men of sincerity, as commissioned by God, in the sight of God, we speak in Christ. And so you serve as elders eagerly with a right motive out of a passion to serve Christ. And no elder who serves in a church is looking to put himself on a pedestal. Our job is not to be on pedestals. Our, our job is not to be building monuments to ourselves. Our job is to serve the church and be on our faces before God in humility and, and in servitude as we desire the glory of God for his church. But do what you do, do it eagerly. Do it eagerly. Not for fame or fortune or for power or out of self-interest. Um, we're not look, looking to build a palace on this earth. I, I think of this facility and what God has given you here and uh, how that's allowing you to uh, be propelled forward in some of the things that God's allowing you to do as a church. And that's amazing what God's doing, but the church is not this facility. This is bricks and mortar. The church is you. And the primary responsibility of the elders is not the, big, the bricks and the mortar, although they have a stewardship there, but it's rather in the, the doctrine and the discipline and the direction of the people of the church and how do we help them and how do we spur them on to love and good deeds. Hey, elders, do that eagerly. Do that eagerly. Next thing the text would share with us is that we need to be an example. In verse 3, but being an example to the flock. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, Paul talks to the church there and he, he talks about how uh, they became followers of Christ in the midst of hardness and difficult times. And, and it says, but, but then you became a witness. 
and you became an example. Um, hey, elders, uh, people are looking at you. They're watching you. Uh, you're not just an elder when you show up on Sunday morning or at your small group or when you show up for a meeting. You're, you're an elder 24-7. And so you're called to be an example to the church. Uh, they're not going to do that perfectly, folks. You need to understand that. They're going to make some mistakes along the way. They're going to have to come back. They're going to have the courage of the second decision, all of those kind of things. But elders, you're calling. You're calling. Part of it is to be an example to the flock. People are watching you to see what Christ would do. The what would Jesus do thing is stamped on your forehead now. You don't, you don't get to take off the I'm an, Elmer, an elder helmet for the rest of the week and just put it on to come to church. It's 24-7. You're called to be an example. You're called to be an example. It's a calling. It's not easy. The spotlight is always on you. Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 11, talking to the church, but it applies to elders, be imitators of me as I'm of, I am of Christ. In Ephesians 5.1, he says, be imitators of God as a beloved a children. Because what? Because people are watching and they're seeing and they're looking at the leadership of the church and they're called to be an example. It requires consistency 24-7. But you won't be perfect. Don't ever put it upon yourself that you have to be perfect. You have to have your eyes fixed on Jesus Christ. You have to be focused on him. You need to be willing to come to confession and repentance when it's needed or a change of mind or a new way of doing things or whatever, but you're not going to be perfect people. And you're going to make some decisions along the way where you might go, you know what, maybe we want to change our mind on that. Um, I remember in our church, when we were looking to do the church plant in Newmarket, we, we were looking to do it like you guys have done it. We'd have a church planter. He would come, and we would send him out. And we were committed that we needed to plant a church in Newmarket. We knew that was true. But the way God did it was not what we expected because we couldn't get a guy. We couldn't find a guy. We interviewed guy after guy and not working out for us. And yet we really believed this is what God was calling us to. We had a group of people who were there and ready to go and... And the elders sat down and we changed the way we were going to do it. We decided we, would, we wouldn't do this as a church plant in that way, but we would do this as a campus of our church. And therefore, the people were going to have to see my ugly mug up on the screen every Sunday and watch. And, and we decided that's the way we would do it. We had to go back to the church and say, we thought this is what we were going to do. We cried out to the Lord and he hadn't made that clear to us. And so therefore, we believe this is what God is going to help us to do. And elders need to have courage to make decisions you need to be an example of that. You have to have eyes of faith. The church should see in you eyes of faith. That's saying, we're going to step out and we're going to do what God's called us to do. And we realize it's going to cost us something. This, this church plant that you're in the midst of right now, just think about it. You're just moving into this building. You're just trying to figure this all out. And, and now you're going to send out a group of people. What, have you guys lost your mind? No, no. Eyes of faith. Eyes of faith. And watch what God is doing and watch how he will work. And elders, you're called to be an example of those things. Then the last thing I would say to the elders, look at verse 4, there is a reward. There is a reward. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Two quick things I would say about that. It says when the chief shepherd appears, 
doesn't say you're going to get it now. It doesn't say you're going to get it now. When the chief shepherd appears, there's going to be a reward for you. There's going to be a blessing for this. It's, it's all going to be worth it. When they, when they heard this crown of glory, they would understand like the wreath that they, they would get at the Olympics as they would do back then. And, but it would fade away. The flowers would die. But what they're going to receive, the blessing they're going to receive is an unfading crown of glory for their faithfulness. And so when it gets hard, elders, lean in. When it gets hard, you don't give up. When it's hard, you don't quit. Why? Because we're going for something much bigger than what's going on today. We're looking for what God has in eternity. And so Peter gives this charge to the elders some things for them to understand, some sense of the weight, and yet looking forward to the blessing that's coming. And and then Peter moves on in the text, and if that was a word to the elders, now to the elders, he gives a word to the others. He gives a word to the rest of us. And uh, what does God's word say uh, for us? Well, he says, likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you. So if you're sitting there going, talking to the uh, young men who were in the church. He was just talking to them because, you know, they don't have any spilt milk or they think they've got it all figured out. Well, well, that might have been true, except that he goes on from there and he says, um, um, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you. Anybody in the room not included in all of you? No, it's all of us, right? So what he's going to say to the rest is it's for us. It's for us to understand. And there's some things he says for us as the elders seek to lead the church. What are the rest of us supposed to do? How we live our lives. And the first thing he says is to be subject. To be subject. And, and automatically, as soon as I say that, in our mind's eyes in North America, we just kind of gr- gristle at that, and we don't want to be about that. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Uh, come under them. Willingly come under them. Our society says, I'm not come under anybody. I'm my own man. I'm my own woman. I, I create my own destiny. I am who I am, and I'm going for what I'm going for. And everything that the gospel of Jesus Christ is about is counterculture. And this is another one of those things where he says, come under the elders. You're like, I'm not coming under them. Well, it's going to talk to you about, talk about you in just a minute as we get to that in the text. Um, be subject to them. What, just blindly follow them? No. Test what they do against the word of God and, and, and allow that to work. And, but just because they don't make a decision that's the way you would do it, then be willing to come under it. Be willing to listen. Be willing to submit yourself. Be willing to come under subjection. Well, you're like, come on, Paul. Really? They're saying I have to do that? I'm not saying you have to do that. God's word says that's what we're called to do. Be subject to them. He, he talks to them, uh, to the young men first, where he says, um, likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. I think that's because they don't have the experience. They don't have what I call spilt milk. They haven't gone through some of the things that others have gone through. Um, Sue and I, we see that in our lives. I turned 60 uh, last September, and she's way younger than that, so don't worry about that, but I turned 60. Yeah, and you know what I find in my life? People are starting to ask me stuff, and I'm going, what are you asking me? I, how would I know? It's, it's because you're old. <laughs> uh, when did that happen in my life, right? You have spilt milk. 
You have, uh, Ted, when he was talking about us and our kids, believe me, we weren't perfect parents, but God's been so gracious to us. I, I love to say that God has given us two kids who love the Lord, who married two kids who love the Lord and are raising their kids to love the Lord. Like, pinch me, take me to heaven right now, right? But that's God's grace. That's God's goodness to us. That's God's favor poured out on us. But as, as I think about all of that, we, we've had some spilt milk in our lives. We've been through some difficulty. And, and so people come and they ask. I think that's why he's saying that. But, but be subject to the elders. They've been praying about this. They've been thinking about this. They've been considering this. Subject yourself to them. Hey, if you've got your Bibles, just keep your finger in 1 Peter and turn over to Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 13. There's two verses I want you to see in regard to this. Hebrews 13, verse 7. Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. There's a great verse for you to memorize, especially as you think about coming under the leaders in the church. And over in verse 17, obey your leaders and submit to them. Why? Because they're keeping watch over your souls. That's the responsibility. I could have preached from that text today. They're keeping watch over your souls. Look at the next line. As those who will give an account, let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. So the word to the rest of us, the first one is be subject. The next word is to be humble. Be humble. Um, you know, what's Humility. For Paul Whittingstall to understand it, I, I think about it like this. Humility is understanding who I am in light of who God is. Understanding who I am in light of what Jesus Christ has done for me. Um, not me on the throne, God on the throne. Um, and he tells them that we do this in humility, the humility of understanding who we are. The, amount, the humility of understanding God's holiness and our sinfulness living every day out of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The gospel is not just the good news that we, we trusted when we accepted Jesus Christ as our Savior. The gospel is the reality of how messed up we were and what God has done for us, and it's the motivation to live every, life, every day of the rest of my life for the glory of God. And so humility is understanding best I can God's holiness. Holy, 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 Isaiah 6 says. The whole earth is filled with your glory. And then Isaiah's like flat on his face because he sees his own sinfulness. The holiness of God and in, in your, your sinfulness. Um, humble yourself. Humble yourself. When I think about my sinfulness, I think about, I think about this statement. I don't know who said it. I forgot who said it, but um, says, no, I didn't. So the statement is this. The only thing you brought to your salvation was the sin that made it necessary. That's what you brought to the table. Not your good works, not your effort, not your I'm trying harder, not God will look at me. The only thing you brought to your salvation is the sin that made it necessary. And when you think about that and then think about the God of glory who you're seeking to serve, then humble yourself. Humble yourself. I think it's in Ecclesiastes, it says, God is in heaven, you are on earth. Let your words be few, right? Just, God, your work is awesome. And I want to live out of that every day. And so he tells them to, to be humble. 
Be humble. Humility is something that you put on. It's an action. It's a decision. It's a focus. Um, John the Baptist said in John 3.30, he must increase, I must decrease. He got it. He got it. He was figuring it out. He was struggling with it. He was moving out of the limelight as the forerunner to Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is now living in the limelight, as it were. And, and John's like, he must increase, I must decrease. Hey, people, is that the way we live our lives? Are we on the look at me plan all the time? Or is our focus in our lives to get people to look at Jesus Christ in us? Is that what we're going for in our lives? The Bible says in Philippians 2, uh, verse 10, that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. You know, if you're here today and you've never trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, the Bible says one day you're going to bend the knee and you're going to say, Jesus Christ is Lord. As graciously and lovingly as I can, I need to warn you about that because that's what God's Word says. You might say, well, I'm never going to do that. I'm never going to bend the knee. I'm never going to. Just because you don't think you're going to doesn't mean you're not going to, right? I could think gravity's not real, and I could walk right off the edge of the platform, and I won't fall down. I could think that, and as soon as I step off there, I'm going to fall and break my other ankle, and, and it's because gravity is real, whether I believe it or not. The truth of Philippians chapter 2, that every knee is going to bow and every tongue is going to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, is true for everyone. Some are going to be forced to do that, and having rejected Christ, and God's going to say, I don't know you. And you'll spend eternity separated from God in hell. And for the follower of Jesus Christ, we'll be on our faces. We're, I'm not, I, I hope not to just bend my knee. I'll just be right, right on my face before the Lord. Well done, good and faithful servant. Every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess. And so humble yourself. In light of who God is, in light of who Jesus Christ is, stop trying to promote yourself all the time and be promoting Jesus Christ and who he is and what he's, he's accomplished. So be subject, be humble. Here's the next one. Be ready for the consequences. Be ready for the consequences. In this uh, text it says, God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. When we lack humility, when we lack submission, we're really saying, I'm in charge. I've got it figured out. We do this all the time in our lives. We get a, a thing that comes on us and, and we don't know what to do. We, we don't pray. We try and fix it on our own. I do it all the time. The, the first place we should go is to the Lord. But the first place we usually go is to our own strength and our own abilities. And that's pride. And, and it's not just that God's like, oh, would you please stop it? That's not what it says. It says God opposes that. I don't know about you, but I don't ever want to find myself in opposition to what God wants to do. I don't want to be facing the captain of the other team, and the captain of the other team in this thing in my life is God. God opposes the proud. And he gives grace to the humble. So putting it in the context of the church, and you're like, well, I, I've got the answers. I think I know what they need to do. They need to do this, or they need to do that, or they need to do this in the right way. You can add and put those things into the mix. But 
When it becomes a pride thing, you move to a place where you're in opposition to God. When you put yourself on the throne in your life's plan and how you're going to get ahead and all the rest of it, don't expect God to bless it. He says God opposes what you're doing. God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Pride says, I want what I want more than I want what God wants. It's pride that keeps people from trusting Christ. I, I, can, I can make it on my own. I can try harder. I can be better. I'll stand before God one day and he'll say, yeah, you did okay. And when God's standard is no sin, when God's standard is no failure, and you're like, well, no one could do that. Exactly. Because that's what Christ did for us. That's why Christ came. The Bible says, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. There's none righteous, not even one. Not even one. So if you're sitting in the room today, he goes, yeah, the rest of the people are kind of messed up, but not me. I'll be okay. No, no, you're the not even one. The Bible says, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. What keeps you from doing that? Pride. Pride. I'm good enough. I'll try harder. I'll make it my way. I'll do it on my terms. Every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And Jesus Christ made this amazing gift available to us through his coming, his life, his death, his burial, his resurrection. And he offers to us this free gift of eternal life and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, the Bible says, and you'll be saved. Don't try harder. Don't work harder for it. Just believe. Believe what Christ has done. Trust him. Confess with your mouth who Christ is, the Bible says, you will be, you will be saved. Pride keeps us from Christ. Here's some other things pride does. You won't have time to write these down. Pride is the opposite of grace. Pride is the opposite of, of grace. Why? Well, pride gets. Grace gives. Pride is about me. Grace is about others. Pride says, I want. Grace says, what you want. Pride says, give me. And grace says, I surrender. Pride is me on the throne. Grace is releasing that control. Pride says you don't matter. Grace says you are first. Pride says I know best. Grace says, excuse me, pride says I know best. Grace says you know best. Pride says serve me. Grace says serve others. Pride is about my plans. Grace is about your plans. Pride is a badge of honor. Grace is a gift from God. Grace is the antidote for the pride of life. God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. As I talk about that today, does something come to your mind, an area of your life that you're like, man, I got to get that in place. I got to get that fixed. Like the way I think about myself, the way I present myself to my children, the way I act in front of my spouse, the way I treat my friend, the what... God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Well, all of this living, all of this living out and living out in a church and living out in the Christian community and really kind of a bit of a summary, but is, this will require grace. A few things I just really quickly wanted to give you to, um, what does this text really say? The first one it says is to humble yourself. It's a choice. Humble yourself that at the right time he may exalt you, right? 
that at the right time he may exalt you. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you. And you're like, well, no, I, I tried it. Didn't work. I humbled myself. He didn't exalt me. He said, at the proper time. At the proper time. You know, the elders of this church, they may serve faithfully and never be exalted until they get to glory. Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God at his time. I don't, okay, in my flesh, I want to be exalted all the time. But for the glory of God, I want to be exalted in his time. I don't want the glory to be glory from some lame person who's out there, yeah, well done, oh yeah, you do such a great, you're such a great guy. I want, I want the glory to be about God, and I want him to be the one who exalts in his time. And his time might not come until we get to glory. We might see blessing today. We might be encouraged along the way. I, I think about when I was leaving Harvest York Region and, and moving into this new ministry that I'm in. And uh, Somebody came to me after being there 11 years. What was the most amazing time for you in our church? When was it? It's like 11 years. Like God did a lot of things in our church beyond what I could ever have imagined. And I'm like, well, I can think of one. And that one was, we talk about my son, Carl, when the first time that Carl came and preached in the church where his dad was the senior pastor. As a dad, you're just like, pinch me, take me to glory right now, Jesus, I'm ready to go, right? That was a great thing for us. But as, but as we were leaving, there were a whole host of other things. I think about how God blessed and encouraged us. I remember hearing testimonies and people telling us or writing notes and somebody saying that, I remember I came to the church with a friend and you preached a message on whatever it was and I'd forgotten the series a long time ago and, and, and they're like, and on that day I trusted Jesus Christ as my Savior and now they're in the baptismal tank giving their testimony and I'm like, how much better can it get than that, Right? Or hearing the story of the person who you were discipling and how they went out and they were ministering to their friend and while they were out there, their friend trusted Jesus Christ. And you had nothing to do with that other than your little part over here, right? Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God in his time, in his time, in his way. Let him be the one who exalts you. Let him do that. But it takes grace. It takes grace to surrender in verse 7, it says, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. You want to, you want to be a person who supports the elders of the church? Cast your anxieties on him because he cares for you. And the peace of God and the God of peace, Philippians chapter 4, says that they'll be yours. It's not easy to cast our anxieties. So often we want to keep them because it makes us feel like, woe is me or whatever. I, I remember July 22, 2017, so almost two years ago, I had a heart attack. It was on a Saturday afternoon. We got a Saturday evening service for Pete's sake. Lord, like, what's going on? How am I, you know? And, uh, and I'm taking, Sue drives me to the hospital. God did an amazing thing through all that. I'm not telling that story. But, but we, get, we get up and uh, go up, and I get a stent put in, and anxieties, okay? Anxieties were some of the things that caused that. Bad, heat, bad eating habits, some things in our family genes, all the rest of that. But, but I remember at first, after this is done, thinking, will I ever pastor Harvest Bible Chapel, York Region again? Never dreamt I'd be doing this on that day. Cast all your cares upon him. Cast all of your anxieties upon him. Why? Because he cares for you. 
And I had to come to the place of understanding and believing and taking the hope in that if I never preach again, God won't love me any less. And if I do, he won't love me anymore. Why? Because he cares for me. Cast all of your anxieties. What, what are your anxieties that you have? Cast them upon him. Why? Because he cares for you. And the God of peace and the peace of God, that's what will sustain us. That's what will carry us through. And we need to humble ourselves. We need to surrender by casting our worry and our pride upon him. You know, being filled with anxiety is really just a sign of pride. Anxiety is just you trying to figure it out on your own without God. Now, here's the next thing he says, resist. Look at verse 8. It says, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. We need to resist him. We need to be alert. We need to know the word. It says, so the devil goes around like a roaring lion. He's making a lot of noise. But in the believer's life, he is toothless. What can he do to you? You're protected under the mighty hand of God. Cast your anxieties on him because he cares for you. We need to learn to resist. We we need a lot of grace for that. He says, stand firm is the next one. We need to be people of God who stand firm in the faith. I love that song that we just had sung with, we sung with and sung over us. Um, resist him firm in your faith. Going back to the foundations, living out of the truth of the gospel. No matter how hard it gets, how difficult it gets, I go back to the fact that Jesus Christ is my Savior. He is the foundation point, and I live out of what he has done. My sanctification is a bumpy road, but I'm moving forward by faith. Looking forward to what's coming, not yet perfect, but certainly not what I used to be. I'm going to be a person who stands firm in my faith and I'll stand for God and for his glory and I won't waver on it. And then the last thing I would say is to be equipped. Be equipped. Look at verse 10. It says, after you've suffered a little while, the God of all grace, so he's going to take grace to do this, the God of all grace who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ. That's why we're here. That's why this is so important. We're called to his eternal glory in Christ. Will himself, what will he do? How will he equip us? He'll restore us, confirm, he will strengthen, and he will establish you. And God equips us as people so that we can be used to serve for his glory, serving with his grace, serving under his grace. And then Peter wraps the whole thing up with um, where our focus is to be. Verse 11. To him. Not to the elders of the church. Not to Pastor Ted. Not to the leader of a ministry. But to him. Our eyes fixed on Jesus Christ. Our eyes focused on him. To him be the dominion. Forever and ever Amen. So as you think about the elders who are called to serve here in the church, Christ's church, our focus is not to please them. Our focus is not to, well, I guess if they're going to do it, we're going to do it. Our focus is to the glory of God, for his dominion. He will reign forever 
and ever. Amen. Well, so what? So what? Yeah, Pastor Paul, um, some elders are going to be installed today, and so what? Understand the calling and the weight on their lives, how heavy it is. And what God has placed for them and the charge they have and their care for you. I know there are men who love the Lord. I know there are men who love the church. But I know there are men who love the Lord Jesus Christ. And so as they seek to help you grow, as they seek to make sure you're prepared to share the gospel, as they seek to get our eyes fixed on the glory, that's the weight they carry. Church, help us to fix our eyes on Jesus Christ, how we respond to them not only here, but as we live our lives out for the fame of the glory of our Savior, Jesus Christ the Lord. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the testimony of Peter and what he was teaching and encouraging and helping these uh, elders to understand to their responsibility and the church to how they respond to how they live their lives out. Not to us, the psalmist said, not to us, but to your name be the glory. Help us, God, to fix our eyes on that, whether we're an elder in a church or whether a person seeking to live, that the fame of the name of Jesus Christ would be our focus. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.